Yeah, what I tell people is safety is a holistic approach. Mm. That holistic approach should be looking at all modes of operation of the machine, all energy sources, and all human interaction to that machine in order to determine what's needed to safeguard. Welcome to the McNaughton McKay podcast, your electrical connection. Each episode, we meet with an industry expert to tackle real issues in manufacturing. Join your host, Austin Davidson, to get the latest scoop on automation products and solutions. Welcome back to the McNaughton McKay podcast. Today, we're doing a follow-up episode on fluid power safety, and we're going to be discussing the situation that you may find yourself uh, using compressed air or gas or pressurized liquids in your plant, you're not quite certain if you are safely managing that power. To help me walk through this, I am joined again by Chris Brogel. He is the Global VP of Safety Business Development for Ross Controls. Chris, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me. So last episode, we, we kind of walked through the idea that fluid power safety is almost identical to electrical safety. And so we deal with a lot of the same things and we manage that power in a very similar way. So we find ourselves in the situation that we are using compressed air or gas or pressurized liquids, and we just want to make sure that we are dealing with these safely. Well, absolutely. Um, the, the path is the same, as, and that we need to start out with a risk assessment. A risk assessment uh, should include all modes of operation, and it should include all job tasks that are being carried out by the people that interact with the machine. And so, for example, a recent study showed that 60 to 70 percent of injuries happen outside of automatic operations. Yet most people, when they do a risk assessment, spend all of their risk assessment efforts around automatic. So they're ignoring a big part of the injuries. Also, they're spending a lot of their time looking at hazards caused by electrical energy, like a drive motor. What happens when that motor uh, turns on and makes that conveyor move or, or when that robot's moving. A lot of those are generated by electrical energy. Well, guess what? Most of these same machines have devices that are being dr driven by pneumatics or hydraulics or some other compressed gas. And we have to control those much in the same way we control an electrical hazard. So doing the risk assessment and identifying all of the hazards associated with all the job tasks in each mode of operation is the starting point. And then once we identify those hazards, we need to determine the best way to control those hazards. And that might be through the use of, in the electrical world, um, you know, a variable frequency drive that's got safety embedded or safety contactors. Well, in the pneumatic world, it's, it's by using safety valves. And those safety valves can have many different functions. There, there is a lockout function for maintenance activities. There is a safe exhaust, which basically eliminates all in energy. There's also a what we call stop and hold function. So you need to identify what is the action you want to occur on the device that's causing the hazard, and that will drive you toward the selection. And that's done in, when you develop your functional specification. That functional specification identifies what you do. That helps you then to determine what mitigation product to pick. And I think that's very interesting, that statistic you said, that the 60 to 70% uh, of occurrences are when there is essentially no motion occurring, right? Well, it's in a non-production activity. What I mean by that, when the machine's running normally, mm -hmm. you don't have an issue. It's when that machine jams and someone's going in to remove that jam. Oh, certainly. That's an abnormal operation. Or when they're doing 
a changeover or a setup, or maybe a part fell out of the machine. They're going in to grab that part and put it back in the machine. It's in a non-normal task. Yes. So those are, uh, uh, unless you have seen somebody physically do that before, when you're doing the risk assessment, uh, we'll say in a vacuum, maybe you don't expect that that's going to occur. Exactly. That's why it's best to include someone that knows the machine and how the machine is operated. And typically, whenever whenever I've been involved in risk assessments, I try to involve, of course, the operator, the maintenance person, the setup person, the material handling person that's loading that machine. So anyone that interacts with that machine, because they're doing different tasks and different tasks may use the machine differently. Therefore, the mitigation technique may need to vary depending on who it is that's interaction and what interacting with the machine and what mode of operation the machine is in. Certainly. And I think, um, obviously, I don't want to spend too, too much time on the risk assessment, although I would love to make it abundantly clear to everyone that that is always the first step. And we probably beat that into people's heads a little, a little much, but really it is impossible to properly mitigate a risk unless you truly understand it. So uh, if you look through the hierarchy that electrical safety standards show, uh, first thing would be to uh, basically design out the risk. Um, But then you start getting into physical guarding and then you'll move the light curtains or proximity devices. And and those are all on the electrical side. So if we are trying to mitigate a hazard on the, we'll say the compressed or pressurized side, what do you suggest we use or what, what are some of the things you've seen uh, that have been effective at mitigating risk? Well, you would use the same hierarchy of risk reduction measures that that is identified in ISO 12100 and ANSI B110. And as you said, the most effective way to reduce risk is to eliminate the hazard. That's step one. That can be eliminated through multiple methods. Like one way of elimination is automating the process and eliminating the need to do that particular, particular action mm-hmm. that created a hazard or you change the um, effects of that hazard. So for example, uh, we um, have a product called a safe pressure select switch. So let's say I've got an operator that's loading a part into the machine and there's pinch points there um, called grippers that are grabbing the part. Well, um, instead of grabbing that part at full pressure, we're using our pressure select valve to basically switch from low pressure or high pressure to low pressure. So it's basically triggered when the operator breaks the light curtain to load the part. And when what happens is we switch the ability to clamp at high pressure to low pressure, and that reduces the impact of the injury and the severity of the potential injury. And it also slows the machine down so that there's not an injury. So we eliminated it through control of energy. And so that is one method of elimination. The next, as you said, was guarding. And many times you can't use physical guarding because Mm -hmm. it limits the ability to do a job. And that's where you get into, like you said, light curtains and door switches and scanners and things like that. But keep in mind, those scanners and those light curtains, they're a triggering device. So they send a signal to tell the safety system, you need to do something. That safety system then needs to control that source of the hazard. And that's where the safety valves come into play. Certainly. So, so if I could pause you for just a second. So what, what, what I thought was interesting and in, in the direction I kind of want to go now is you essentially, I, I was going to breeze through the design it out because that always seems like a bit of a cop out, but you guys have actually basically made a collaborative environment at that point, right? Because people can still work with the machine uh, in, in a safe manner. Yes. 
That's basically what it is. We're doing this on collaborative robots. We're doing it on machines where people are inter interacting and handing parts to that machine. We're just limiting energy in, in order for them to be able to do a jo job task at a reduced risk. Cool. So, uh, and then the next thing I wanted to uh, kind of discuss is I know for, for a high level safety circuit, you, you have to have an input logic and output. It's kind of the easiest way to describe it. So would most, I mean, most of the products that we have talked about uh, that you guys use on this side of the spectrum have all been output devices, right? Do you have input devices or are these always output devices or, you know, can we? No, we have, uh, we have input devices. Like we have total pneumatic systems that are driven by pneumatic switches. So uh, pneumatic push buttons, pneumatic gate switches. I mean, there, there can be total pneumatic uh, circuits, total hydraulic circuits. But I will say this in the industry, most of the machines are what I would call a hybrid machine, meaning that they have electrical they have pneumatic, they have hydraulic, it's multiple energy sources. Mm -hmm. So if you go out and just do a quick audit and, and look at in any given plant, probably 60% of the equipment is going to have more than just electrical energy. It's going to have a pneumatic or hydraulic aspect. And so most of your machines um, will have electrical along with pneumatic or with hydraulic. And so the term I like to use is there's always a triggering device. Mm -hmm. That triggering device could be a pneumatic device, it could be a hydraulic device or an electrical device. And then you have some sort of logic device that basically monitors that input and controls the output. And then whenever that output occurs, there is a feedback signal that comes back to that logic device. So if we're talking about, right, well, for the sake of my understanding, since I'm more familiar with the electrical side, Let's say that we have uh, we have deployed safety equipment, or we're looking to deploy safety equipment on a machine, um, and so we're walking through uh, what occurs when we want to create, say, a safe state. Let's say the situation of somebody has either tripped an input device, or you've pressed an e-stop, an electrical circuit, right? That's going to go to our logic, and then that's going to, for what I'm familiar with, maybe wind down a drive to wind down the motor or put it in a safe torque off uh, situation. What do we do? What, what happens when we press an e-stop with these pneumatic or these hydraulic devices? Well, what the standards say in the event of an e-stop is that you have to be able to control all sources of hazardous energy. Mm -hmm. And if you go and read an FPA 79 or ISO 13850 or IEC 62061, all of those kind of talk about the e-stop button as a device a manual device that's used in reaction to a hazardous incident or an unwanted situation. Yeah. And it's used to control all sources of energy. If you're just turning off the electrical and you're not dumping your pneumatics or your hydraulics, you haven't properly controlled all sources of hazardous energy. And so you have to control that as well. So to me, when I press that e-stop, I should be here in the air dump. And see, that's what uh, a lot of people don't do. They're controlling it electrically because they're opening a pair of contactors or or like you said, with that variable frequency drive, taking it to a stop state and then removing power. Pneumatically, they should be doing something very similar and hydraulically something very similar. And that's where the use of safety dump valves or safety block and bleed valves come into play. Okay, so that's block and bleed and dump valves are what we would be using. So, yeah, it, it's interesting to me because I, I will not speak for any of our customers because I uh, am not certain what they have actually employed. But... I do know from our side, the uh, the pneumatic and the hydraulic is, again, maybe it's uh, maybe it's due to the fact that we're an electrical supply company and we're not a uh, pneumatic or hydraulic supply company that we tend to gloss over a lot of this stuff. But 
Uh, when it comes to safety, like you said, we're, we're looking at removing all sources of hazardous energy, right? Yeah. What I tell people is safety is a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. That holistic approach should be looking at all modes of operation of the machine, all energy sources, and all human interaction to that machine in order to determine what's needed to safeguard it. Perfect. Well, I mean, I think for the most part, that covers all the questions I had. Is there anything else about uh, fluid power safety that you would like to let our listeners know about? There is one area, and I touch on this just because there are a number of different safety functions that are identified by the standards as ways to mitigate and reduce risk in fluid power. One of those is lockout-tagout, just like an electrical. If you go and throw your electrical disconnect on your panel and you check and make sure all your voltage is gone, you could still have stored trapped energy in the system, in the pneumatic system, if you haven't properly bled the system. So stored energy is something you have to look at. And most people don't when it comes to lockout tagout. Um, There are also numerous safety functions, just like in the electrical world, a safe exhaust valve is a dump valve that immediately removes power. We have one called a safe return valve. That's very similar to safe direction with a variable frequency drive. We had another one called safe load holding valve. That's used to stop a cylinder in the middle of the stroke and hold it. And so that's much like safe brake control. So many of the same safety functions you have in the electrical world, we can do in the pneumatic world. And we have to think about what is the condition that we want to do in the event of a safety situation and then find the product to do that. And Ross happens to have the broadest portfolio in the industry of fluid power safety solutions in the market. So between us and Mac and Mac, let us help you. Certainly. And thank you for doing the plug for me. I think, uh, you know, at this point, if you are working with your equipment and you go into a situation where you've hit the e-stop and you maybe don't hear that hissing noise of the compressed air or the pressurized liquids kind of winding down, reach out to your local McNaughton McKay account manager or email us at podcast at mc-mc.com. We'll get out there and help you make sure you walk through the risk assessment correctly. And then we will employ specialists like Chris and his team to make sure we get these pneumatic and hydraulic safety devices deployed properly. Chris, thanks again for the time. I, I appreciate you following up with our first episode. Sounds good, my friend. You take care, stay healthy and safe, and we'll talk soon.